Well, we're starting a new series this month called The Art of Neighboring. And I um, want to begin to challenge you to think differently about where you live and why you live there. Um, back up with me. Some, some of you are looking for a home. Uh, some of you have recently moved. Um, some of us have been settled for many years, and we haven't thought about this in a long time. But when you go to move or to buy a new home or to relocate, what are some of the things you think about and look for? Right? Just, just process in your mind with me. Right? You go out with your realtor. If you have a realtor, you go out looking at houses, looking at places, you tend to focus on the physical features of a home, right? You want to see a house and you kind of know some things you want. I think I want a double vanity because I don't want to share a sink with my wife. And your wife is like, I don't want your shaving scum in my sink. So that works out great. And you go through the physical features, the design. I want it to look a certain way and the layout. And we're going to have this much square footage because we have little ones. And you think about things like countertops and appliances and flooring and fixtures, and, and then you, you kind of back out Google Earth, you know, 5,000-foot view, and you go, okay, so how much is this going to cost? You start thinking about things like price and location. Um, what's my commute to work going to be like if we live in this place? Um, home values. Are the home values in this area going up or on there on the way down? Uh, the neighborhood, the surrounding schools, all those conversations you begin to have as you think about where we're going to live, right? Um, as I've talked to a couple of realtors this week, uh, I have reflected back on the family, the Satterfields, and, and we, we've moved from place to place. And one thing I can honestly say to you, we have never uh, considered on the front end of a move, before we get ready to take the step, we've never uh, thought about, I wonder what our new neighbors are going to be like. We never just, before we pulled the trigger, before we backed up the truck and filled it with all of our junk, we never asked the question, what are the neighbors like in this place? Never, not once. Not once. And we've moved a lot. Now, I think that's pretty normal for most people. I don't, I don't know that very many people stop and ask about the neighbors. Maybe, maybe they should. Maybe some of you have gotten into a situation living next door to people and you go, I should have asked about the neighbors, right? There's, there's a sense of like regret, like <laughs> we could have not been next to these people if I had just taken a little more time to think about this. There's one exception to that rule that I know of. And this really wonderful couple back in Athens, Georgia, when we lived there, they were very cognizant about the neighbors that they wanted to live near. And, and they actually a young couple that we had discipled and they were newlyweds and they knew they were going to start a family. And the place they really wanted to live was in our neighborhood. They wanted to be close to us. They wanted to be able to walk, stroll around the block and come right past our driveway where our kids were already playing and stop and have those conversations. And, and so they did. They bought a house once in the Satterfields and they were living there and, and, and they, would, they would come around the neighborhood. They would walk their dog and they'd go on runs and they'd come right past our house and we would talk. And, and you know what we did? in response to that, we picked up and moved to Washington state and we left them <laughs> and they really, they were like, what are you doing? God's not calling you to Washington state. We just moved into the neighborhood, right? Six months ago. And it was this really, uh, they were so sweet. They really, they wanted to be close to us. They wanted to, they wanted us as neighbors. They were thinking neighbors first and that's so unusual. And then we bailed on them. Um, they've never forgotten. They've never forgiven <laughs> They have forgiven. It, it, it's the exception that anyone makes in the factor in where they want to live, right? That's, that's actually perplexing 
um, in one sense, that we don't think more about that because the people who live near us, where we're going to live, where we do live, have a tremendous impact on us. Whether we want them to or not, for good or for bad, they can be terrible neighbors. They can be incredible neighbors. They impact our lives. And we should be impacting their lives. So we should set it in our hearts as followers of Jesus that we want to have an impact in their lives as well. We're there. You live there. It doesn't look like you're leaving there anytime soon. Most of you, you should begin to think, what what kind of impact can I have, right? And so for the entire month of May, we're going to talk about neighbors in this new series, The Art of Neighboring. And at Emmaus Road, out to be a church, we're full of ordinary people who are making an extraordinary impact for the kingdom. And we think about that in terms of like, okay, we support this family in New Orleans and they're getting equipped to do ministry uh, to deal with the sex industry and the, the stranglehold that pornography has on the church. And they're going to have that impact. And then next week you'll hear about a mission in Japan, a church plant in Japan that we're partnering with and, and just impact all around the world. And that we, we do that because, and we forget that right here in our own neighborhoods, God's called us to have impact and influence and and to build a relationship, right? And so we're going we're gonna to learn what it means to be a good neighbor. And every time I say that, for every time I typed it this week in my sermon notes, I thought Rogers, right? Putting on the casual, taking off the dress shoes, putting on the tennis shoes, putting on the cardigan. Won't you be my neighbor? What does it mean to be a good neighbor? And we're going to take the word neighbor and we're going to turn it from a noun into a verb. And we're going to talk about what it means to neighbor well. What does it mean to, to the art of neighboring, right? And it's not just who you are by virtue of the location of your dwelling place. It's something that you do. It's something that you do. So, so let's talk about the main idea, okay? The main idea. Let's see, Abby tracking with me. She got thrown into this today. Thank you so much, sweetheart, for running slides for me today. It's so sweet. So here's the big idea. I want to into this idea today as we open the word. And we're going to go to Luke chapter 10 in just a moment. Here's the, here's the big idea. Neighboring creates opportunities to connect. Now, I'm not going to push you hard that you need to go to door to door and hand out gospel tracts to your neighbors. Okay? You, you might. You might. You might find yourself in a conversation with a neighbor where you wish you had a gospel tract to give them. That would be awesome. That, that's not our starting point. Our starting point is creating opportunities to connect, just to connect relationally. Because your neighbor needs the gospel, but they also just need people nearby them to know that they care about them, to know that they're invested. And it connects our to our neighbor's stories. It connects our stories and their stories to God's story. So we're going to look at Luke, Luke chapter 10, familiar story. We're going to look at a little different angle than maybe we've looked at it before. And then next week, we'll talk about overcoming barriers, right? Because they're there. And then we'll talk about entering into the messiness of people's lives as we look at the kinds of people Jesus parted with. And then we're going to end our series by discovering how we can build and invest in relationships right outside our own front door. And all along the way, we're going to make sure that we're holding on to the why of neighboring because we're connecting other people's stories to the story of God. We want them to know the one and true living God. And so while familiar to many of us, 10 passages is one of those passages, especially if you grew up in church, right? You've heard it so many times that we're tempted to generalize it to the point of abstraction. And then once we've abstracted that, we don't do anything with it. We don't do anything with it. Or worse, we're so familiar with this text that at one level, we've, we've become inoculated to the implications. We just don't even let it get into our hearts. 
So go to Luke chapter 10, and let's look at verse 25 down to verse 37. We'll take it in two pieces. Behold, a lawyer stood up and put, to put him to the test, to put Jesus to the test, and he said, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, Well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? So let's just stop for a sec. Let's get a little context on this. Because uh, Jesus has just been rejoicing with his disciples, right, prior to this. The 70 disciples, right, 12, we call the disciples, and then there's a group of about 70 that came in behind them. And then there's a group of about 120 behind them, right? And then the 70 have been sent out in pairs. You go back in the gospel account. And Jesus said, go out in pairs, minister, cast out demons, come back, tell me how that goes. And they had come back. And now they've brought this good report and everybody's celebrating. Uh, they have power and authority over evil and over demonic spirits. They have power and authority in the spirit and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is rejoicing in the spirit at this good report. And so then, so then this exchange happens. As all this rejoicing is happening and they're celebrating and he's hearing the stories of uh, how they've gone out in obedience and faith. So teacher of the law says, well, what do I have to do to have eternal life? I'm seeing this work of the spirit. I'm hearing these reports about these cool things happening. What do I have to do to have eternal life, Jesus? And so Jesus answers the question. And he answers the question with a question, which is really typical of Jesus, if you've read the gospels, right? What's written in God's word? What, what is written in God's word? Can I just say to you before we go any further, that ought to be the heartbeat of every Christian, that ought to be the heartbeat. People ask me all the time, Pastor, what do you think about fill in the blank? And you know what I say? What does the Bible say? No, 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 Pastor. I want to know what you think. I think what the Bible thinks, right? I think we should be asking God what he thinks and what he's commanded in his word. We should be asking that. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, that's the question we start with is what does God say? What does God think about this? And so now this expert in the law He's present. He knows the right answer, right? Sunday school graduate. He knows the right answer. It's the Shema of Israel, Lord. It's Deuteronomy 6.4. The, the word Shema means to listen. Stop what you're doing and pay attention, right? And it's this prayer, right? The Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's this blessing, this prayer of blessing over Israel. And he knows the right answer. And he says it. He didn't have to, he didn't have to flip out his, pull out his scroll, right? Pull out the scroll, open it up. Where's that verse again? He, he knew it from memory, right? A wanna grad too. It's pretty impressive. And he, he could just say it. He said it to the Lord. He got it exactly right. Here's the point of this. It's not enough to know it. It's not enough to have the cognizance in your brain and all the synapses firing, that the, the, the neurons, the, the electric impulse got to the box in the back of your brain, the cardboard box where you keep all your Bible knowledge and was able to hit the file and then pull it out and get it back to the frontal lobe that fast. Good for you. Having that information is one thing. Do you obey it? Are you acting on it? Are you putting it into practice? He said, if you love me, you'll 
obey my commands. Great, you have knowledge. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 8, 1, knowledge for its own sake, right? From, apart from acting on that knowledge, if you're just in it for knowledge, that only puffs people up. It only inflates the ego. It only, it only puffs up. But love, which Jesus just said, we just said, if you love me, obey my commandments. Jesus, obeying Jesus' commandments, putting them into practice, is what builds us up. It's what builds our character. It's what builds our faith. So the truth that you're exposed to has to make it down that journey 18 inches from your brain, your heart, not the meat pump in your chest that runs on donuts, right? But, the, but your soul, the core of who you are as a person has to get into you. That truth has to work itself into your character. You know, we're going to sing this song to close the service in just a few minutes, from the head to the heart, right? You take me on a journey of letting go and getting lost in you. Love that song because it's exactly what we're talking about. We could, we could have a symposium on neighboring and we could spend a whole weekend and we could charge 80 bucks a head and bring in all the experts in the country on how to be a good neighbor. And we could stream Netflix, Mr. Rogers episodes as breakout sessions. We could do the whole deal and it wouldn't make a hill of difference if people's hearts weren't in. Like, no, I need to obey the Lord. I need to, I need to invest myself, right? You get all the right information. It doesn't make any difference. And so this great commandment is really in two parts, right? Two parts. One is love God. We'll just make this really simple. And the other part is love people. Love God, love people. Uh, having this conversation this morning with a, a, a young adult in the community who um, she's asking about, a, she sent me an article on why millennials are leaving the church and um, we were having this great conversation about there's some litmus tests in scripture. There's some uh, places where God's word says, if you say you love God, but then you don't, you don't actually love God. Or if you say you love God, but your life doesn't reflect this reality, I'm not sure that you really love God. And, and actually, 1 John is a great example of that. You just read 1 John. It's, it's about nine of those in, in the course of that little book of five chapters where he says, if you say you love God, but you don't love the church, you don't actually love God. Because it would be like this. Like you come to me and say, hey, Sadie, I want to hang out this weekend, but can you leave your wife at home? Because she is, I just can't stand your wife. Well, right after I punched you in the throat, I'd be like, we're not hanging out, right? Because we're one. We're one. We're one. So, so there's all these things like this. Well, I say, God, love people. This is the great commandment. He says, and love your neighbor. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then love your neighbor. Period. No qualifiers. Love your neighbor if they keep their yard tidy. Love your neighbor as long as they don't have lots of junkers in the yard up on cinder blocks. Love your neighbor unless there's no qualifiers. None. None. But we're a people that's always looking for loopholes. Always looking for loopholes. Verse 29. But, you see it in the text? But, for a reason. But. Lawyers. Always looking for loopholes. I mean, really, this guy's a lawyer. What'd you expect? He's looking for the loophole. It's what they do. What's that commercial? It's what they do. Some, some auto insurance thing? I don't know why that just popped into my head. It's what they do. It's Geico. 
the, um, it made me think of this story. Noah, is he still, where's Noah? There you are. When he was two, he really wanted some juice. And so he went to the fridge and he opened the fridge and there was no juice in the fridge because mommy hadn't been to the store. And he said, Daddy, I want juice. And I said, sweetie, there's no juice. We have water and we have milk. What do you want? This is the mind of that child at two already thinking like a lawyer. Okay. So I said, my response, we have milk, we have water. What do you want? I should not have phrased the question that way because his response was immediate. He said, Daddy, what I want is for you to go to the store and get me some juice. (laughs) Boom, just found the loophole. It was this natural, I want to say gift, but it's not really a gift. It's a curse, right? He, He just found it at two. He's like, I know exactly how to get around what you just said and find the the boundary and skirt it, right? Thinking like a lawyer too. And the lawyer here is looking to escape. He's at least maybe softened the demand of being his neighbor because there are no conditions there. It's just do it, right? And so not to put too fine a point on this, but this really hits home for most of us. This phrase, wanting to justify himself. Because unless we're incredibly intentional, you don't drift towards holiness, You don't drift towards engaging your neighbor. Um, We drift towards complacency in our daily lives. Nobody drifts towards glad obedience. Those are deliberate decisions that we have to make every single day. And it's not that we want people to die and go to hell. We just don't want to be inconvenienced. Please consider what I'm saying this this afternoon. I'm not sitting by a bullhorn and stand on the street corner three to four days a week shouting at people passing by, right? I'm saying that we need to embrace inconvenience. That that is one of our core values at Mayus Road, right? Uh, That we embrace the inconvenience of ministry. We recognize that ministry is most of the time going to be something that is inconvenient to us, to our schedules, to our lives. And we embrace that reality. That's just the way it is. And so this is what we're, we're revisiting this concept as we think about neighboring well. So we pick it up here in verse 30. Look at the text. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now he's responding to the neighbor. Who's my neighbor? That's the question on the table. Well, let me tell you a little story. A man was going down from Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed. They left him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down the same road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So also a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, he bound up his wounds, he poured on oil and wine. And then he sat him on his own animal, and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, that's a day's wage, two days' wages, And he gave those to the innkeeper and said, take man, whatever else you have to spend, I will repay you when I return. Now, which of these strangers do you think, teacher of the law, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So so this Jewish priest in the story, right? Jewish priest a person whose heart and life is supposedly fully devoted to the heart of God comes upon someone in a moment of need and does nothing. Does nothing. The Levite, same situation, a person who has abilities in the temple worship who 
like the priest, is supposed to be devoted to the heart of God, passes by on the other side, avoids the situation, doesn't make eye contact as he goes into his garage. That's autobiographical for somebody, right? And it doesn't do anything. They were looking for loopholes. And Jesus is pointing to something here that we really don't like. Each of these two men had legitimate reasons that they could use to justify not getting involved, right? There's a danger of becoming ceremonially unclean. I have to go through a lengthy ritual to become clean again so that I can resume my service in the temple and the sacrifices. I got to be at temple and can't be late. The service won't happen if I'm not there, right? There's all these reasons why they can't be inconvenienced. And these are our excuses too. Man, my neighbors are a hot mess, dude. I don't want to get tangled up in that daytime drama. They, they, my neighbors, I think they're doing drugs over there. They party, they're loud. Or maybe you have the other end of the spectrum as neighbors. My neighbors are old and crotchety and mean, right? Their yard's a wreck. Their house is falling apart. Those, all of those things, they, that goes in the category of excuses. That goes in the category of loopholes. That's all those are. It doesn't really matter how well we think we've justified in our own minds if our goal is to avoid having to love our neighbor. Because really, at the end of the day, it's just disobedience. Let's just call it what it is. It's just disobedience. You see, it's commanded by God. So to find the loopholes is to disobey. And then, (laughs) this is audacious, right? To stand and look God in the face and try to pass off some lame excuse that we know it's not going to cut it anyway. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Can I just challenge you? Can I just implore your heart before the Lord today just to give up the unnecessary step of lying to yourself and then trying to justify it before the living God? And could you just skip right to obedience instead? Because God's determined to get you there and it's going to be painful. Could you just part and go right to obedience, please? Wouldn't that be better? I mean, really, wouldn't that be better? I want you to know, I've spent the last two weeks praying about this, thinking about this, laboring over this, because at the top of my driveway, which is a lengthy driveway, and at the top, across the street from us, is a double-wide trailer on about a 10-acre parcel. And the house at the other end of the acreage is dilapidated and falling apart, and the barns are kind of falling apart. So the, so the people that live on the property don't live in the house, and they don't use the barns, but they live in this mobile home. And um, so, so the whole place is in disrepair, and at least, I know at least three people live in that trailer. I know people live in the trailer. And I know that one of them is an older woman who likes to call her cat. And she likes to call her cat between 10.15 and 10.30 p.m. almost every night. And the reason that I know this is because my driveway basically acts like an auditory funnel for sound coming down from that trailer, down between the trees and the rows, the hedges, and into my bedroom window just after I've gone to sleep. And I know that she likes to call her cat. It's a 15-minute window. And I know some things about them. I don't know them. I know that they're, uh, I know there are things that go on in that house, loud shouting sometimes. And I, here's the deal. The house that we're in, in July this year, will be eight years we've lived there. And never, not once, have I ever knocked on their door, have I ever said hello have I ever gone over and asked them what their name is? And I got to tell you guys, as I've thought about that this week, as I prepared this sermon, I am ashamed. I'm ashamed that I have never taken the time to walk 
over onto their property, go up to the door and just say, hello, I'm your neighbor. What's your name? How can I pray for you? I never, in eight years. I'll just tell you right now, that's going to change this week. It's going to change this week. I'm resolved in my heart that I'm going to walk up the street and I'm going to knock on their door. It goes badly. And I'm going to at least say hello and introduce myself. So here's the challenge today. The challenge is this. Leave your comfort zone and go meet your neighbors. Go door to door and introduce yourself. That's it. To start. You don't have to think any bigger than that this week. You don't need to launch into the gospel presentation the first time. But do be open in your hearts. Do be open to God orchestrating that if that's what he wants or, or some other spiritual conversation that you're not looking for. He'll do that. He'll do that. But look for and pray for opportunities to be good in relationships. Don't look for loopholes to avoid it. Look for opportunities to engage your neighbors. And you get to this guy in the text, this Samaritan guy. He, he's, he's an outcast. The Samaritans were half-breed Jews that had intermingled with another uh, ethnicity. And they were hated and disliked by the Jewish people. And he crosses racial and cultural boundaries and taboos to serve someone that probably in any other circumstance would have hated him. And he felt compassion because here's somebody made in the image of God that needed help. He just saw a person made in God's image and said, I need to help that person. He came to this half dead. He bandaged his wounds. He poured on oil and wine to clean and disinfect them. And then he put this guy on his own donkey. He went out of his way to find an inn and gave the, the innkeeper 200 bucks to put this guy up until he came back. He wasn't looking for loopholes. He was looking for opportunities. And when those opportunities presented themselves, and they will for you too, if you're looking for them, he seized them. He took the opportunity. And so the question is, are you looking for loopholes? Or are you looking for opportunities? Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. And of course we say, well, yeah, I know I'm supposed to do that. Of course I'm supposed to do that. But we've abstracted that concept of neighbor. We've made it so general that we really never act. Who's my neighbor? I can't love everybody. So, okay, you're right. You can't. You can't love everybody. So then just start with your actual neighbors. Just start with the people who live on either side of you. Start small. Right around you. God has sovereignly placed people around you. And I'm not making that up. You know what Acts 17 says? You know, Paul went to the Areopagus and he goes to Mars Hill and he's preaching to the Greeks in Athens. And one of the things he says in that sermon, he's dealing with them at Mars Hill. He says, God has appointed people. He set boundaries and he's appointed people where they live and when they live. So might seek God and find him because he's not far from every one of us. Now think about that for a minute. God appoints when and where People live so that they might hear the gospel and know him. Okay. So, so you, God chose you to be where you are and when you are. He didn't choose you for fifth century feudal China. And I'm like, praise God. He chose you for the 21st century in Pacific Northwest in America. He chose where you live he did this so that you might seek him and come to know him. And for many of you, that's happened in, in 
Praise God for that. For many of our neighbors, that hasn't happened. That hasn't happened yet. Now, if you know Jesus personally and you've been saved, you are now an integral part of the process for the people who live around you because God has sovereignly placed you in their midst. God ordained them to live near you, which is what we just read in Acts 17, so that you could love your neighbors and share the love of Christ with them so that they might seek him and find him. He's not far away. He's right there. He's right there in you. He's right there. So let's get really practical. In your seat, every seat has one of those maps. See this on the screen? That's you in the middle. Now, for the whole month of May, this is what I want you to do. I want you to ask yourself, who are the people who live around me? And I'm going to ask you every time I see you, if you've done this yet. Okay? I'm going to be really obnoxious for the whole month. So just own it now or make every effort to avoid me until June. I'm not going to give up in June. You may want to like push to July, okay? This is designed to get you moving from stranger to acquaintance to relationship. Not best friends, okay? You're not going to be best friends with all your neighbors, but, but to know your neighbors, right? Now, let me give you some stats here. As you think about, see, see the one, two, and three there on the page, right? One, write down the names of the people in your neighborhood. Only about 10% of people can fill out the names of all the neighbors whose property touches their property. That's 10%. That's not great. That's not great. Only 3% know relevant information about these people. Not just what kind of cars they drive, because you see them when they pull in the garage, but like, where are they from? Are they, their dad fought in the Korean War. Or, you know, something relevant about their... Only 3% or less can write any kind of relevant information about the people who live around them. Less than 1% know any in-depth thing and have real relationship with those people who live around them. Less than 1%. That is incredibly sad. Our, our, our age of technology and devices that promise connectivity... And what we actually have got is more isolation. We don't even know the people who live around us. So what I want you to do is to write down the names of the people in your neighborhood. And if you don't know their names, do what I'm going to do this week and go knock on their door and ask them. And my asking is coming with an, I'm going to start with an apology. I've lived here for eight stinking years and I have never come knocking on your door. What is your name? I'm so sorry for being a terrible neighbor. What's your name? Sinner, sinner, will you forgive me for being a terrible neighbor? How can I pray for you this week? That's all, that's all. And then, you know, I'm gonna go back, I'm gonna take my little map and I'm gonna write on it. And I actually have an amended map because my neighborhood is not like a nice little organized square. We're kind of jacked up property lines, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna make one of those and I'm gonna write them in and I'm gonna put that in a prominent place and I'm gonna start praying for my neighbors by name. And I'm going to look for opportunities to engage them beyond that first. I'm going to look for ways to, and this is what's great. You can serve them. I'll tell you what my, my wife said to me two weeks ago. She said, you know what you need to say to our churches? Don't just look for ways to serve your neighbors. Look for ways to help them serve you. I borrow tools from one neighbor all the time. I'm so grateful for that dude. 
I'm so grateful. He's got tools I didn't even know existed that I didn't know that I needed. And then suddenly I need them. I'm like, Dwayne, thank you so much. It's so awesome. Look for ways that, to serve one another, right? Write down their names, display it in a prominent place, uh, find a magnet, put it on your fridge, pray for your neighbors, and plan to participate in our summer block parties. Or guess what? You can throw one of your own. You could throw a block party of your own. June, July, and August, we have a block party planned. Now, we're going to set some dates tomorrow night. Look for that information coming to you very soon. But there'll be one at the Saddie House. There's going to be one in Arlington uh, at the the Chestnut Chestnut Hub there in downtown Arlington and one out in Stanwood at One Accord. And so every month, and this is what's cool, God's already orchestrated two teams from Georgia that are coming this summer, and the trips coincide with two of our uh, block parties in July and August. They're going to come help us go door to door and invite our neighbors to come hang out and have a burger and get to know us. It's going to be awesome. Teams from Georgia coming all the way across the country to help us do what we're not doing. You better get in and engage. People coming 3,000 miles to help, right? Let's go. That's hundreds of invitations, lives touched by summer's end. But it requires your faithful involvement. It requires you not just I'll show up, but how can I participate? What can I do? How can I help, right? And so here's how we wrap this, okay? The, the, the fundamental part of this for us is the gospel. We've got to come back to the gospel. Neighboring must be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't have the strength. You're too frail. Honestly, let me just say to you, you're weak in the flesh. And that's an offense to somebody in the room. Can I just say to you, with all the love that I have and the power of the Spirit, get over it. I know that as your pastor, I'm too weak in the flesh to neighbor in the flesh. I don't like people that well. I mean, I like people, but only for a little while, and then they need to go away. I need the Spirit in me. You cannot obey the great commandment without being filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay? And he only comes to those whose lives are submitted to Jesus in faith with repentance. So if that's you for the first time, I'd love to talk to you and pray with you. If that's, uh, if that's you as a follower of Jesus saying, yes, Lord, I need a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit, join the club. Come pray with me because that's my prayer every day, every day. And so Jesus asked the question, which of these three men to be the neighbor, right? The one who showed mercy, the one who extended grace. And so the question for us today is, what kind of neighbor will you be by God's grace? What kind of neighbor will you be? Let's pray together. Lord, we ask for courage and intentionality uh, in your people. I'm asking for you to do a move among us that would move us beyond our complacency and into the place of engagement. Father, we pray for receptivity in our neighbors. We pray for your Holy Spirit to go before us and to open doors and to build relationship. Father, we pray for a move of your Holy Spirit beyond this little church and into the whole community. And in other churches, as we engage, Lord, faithful obedience that swells into a move of your spirit as you engage the lives of people all over uh, this region with the reality of the gospel and that they come to know you, Lord. That's the end game. We want to see people saved. So, Lord, we submit ourselves to you and we pray these things in the power of your name and by your spirit who lives in us. Amen and amen.